Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. In effect, what occurred next was that the British decided they needed to build a large fleet to make a projection down Lake Champlain. And at the same time, uh, the Americans decided that they needed to build a fleet to counter such a threat. That's Mike Gadju. He has a new article on British naval strategies during the Saratoga campaign. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by Henry Holt and Company, publishers of the new book, The British Are Coming, The War for America, Lexington to Princeton, by Rick Atkinson. Available now. On today's episode, we're going to get pretty technical, and we're going to talk about some of the finer points of naval warfare in the American Revolution. Now, for those of you that may uh, live on the coast, a seafaring peoples, if you would, some of this might be some review for you. But there's one twist. We're going to talk about the construction of a fleet of ships, not in the open seas, but in an inland lake. That is to say, Lake Champlain in upstate New York or Vermont, whatever you prefer. Our guest today is Mike Gadju. And Mike is going to talk about a ship called the Thunderer, which was really part of a larger effort for the British to capitalize on the beginnings of the Saratoga campaign of 1777. The Saratoga campaign always holds a sweet spot in my heart for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them is that it was so instrumental in the British mind of winning the war, which of course, you know, spoilers, uh, they didn't. Uh, but that was a big part of it. And one of the other things I love about it is that it was so unique and so diverse. Uh, the military force that the British will use in the Saratoga campaign is the British Empire writ small. You have, of course, British regulars and American loyalists. You also have members of the Iroquois Confederacy as well as other Native American nations. And you have a myriad of German troops from all across the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, you have Scotsmen, you have some Dutchmen, you have some Irish. It really th throws a wrench into the idea that the British army or the British war effort was monolithic. Now, I love this conversation we have today with Mike Gadju because he's going to take that a step further. He's going to reveal another wrinkle in the very big uh, plot to win the revolution. This is a, a naval subplot of sorts, uh, but it's one that took place on Lake Champlain. So I think it's a very, very interesting and important discussion. It's one of those great articles that you really only find at the Journal of the American Revolution. There are a lot of people in the publishing world today that would shy away from an article this specific. They'd be afraid that it would be uh, something that would scare away a generalist. Well, you're not listening to this podcast because you're a generalist, and you're certainly not listening to it because you're afraid to get your hands dirty with some really important history. 
So this is a great interview. Please enjoy it. Sit back, relax. Uh, here's our interview with Mike Gadju. Mike Gadju, thank you for joining us. Well, Brady, thank you very much for your call. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm uh, retired from Vermont. Um, I had uh, several careers there. I I practiced law for 43 years, and then I was uh, in the uh, U.S. Army um, as a commissioned officer for 31 years in uh, active and reserve components. But I've always had a, an interest in uh, military history, and as a result, uh, really, I've been reading and studying uh, military history, primarily of the American Revolution and French and Indian War, really since the time I was a little kid. What first drew your interest into this topic? Um, two things. Um, I, I also uh, taught um, at various uh, colleges and universities up in Vermont, and currently I'm, I'm still a uh, professor of law at a, uh, s- a law school in California. So um, I've had an interest in one of the subjects I teach is international law. And um, uh, among the uh, projects that I've been sort of involved with for the Journal of the American Revolution have been uh, three articles on uh, ships that sailed on Lake Champlain in the period uh, 1775 through about 1778. Um, I, I, I've, the two articles I want to focus on, one that has been published in the Journal of the American Revolution, which is called The Thunderer, uh, and the second one, which is about ready to be published, which is um, uh, called the uh, Braunschweig. Um, and it refers to the same boat, which is actually a, uh, or ship, which is actually kind of an interesting story because um, the British... Uh, in 1776, they they built um, what was uh, it's called a radeau type of craft. <clears throat> it is uh, what is referred to as kind of a raft, and it was used by the British as a floating gun battery. Um, sort of the second part of the story is is that um, in Burgoyne's campaign to split off New England. Uh, coming down Lake Champlain in 1777. Uh, they had, uh, the British had rehabilitated, if you will, uh, the Thunderer and turned it into a two-deck uh, floating gun battery. But it was known as the Braunschweig to the German troops that were with uh, Burgoyne. Uh, the interesting thing to me was that it uh, flew a German flag, and it also flew contemporaneously a, uh, a British ensign. But I had not seen any articles or study of the fact that we had a warship uh, on Lake Champlain uh, in 1777 that was flying, arguably, uh, the flags of two different countries. And so that prompted me to uh, do a study um, as I say, the Braunschweig was uh, sailing in 1777 uh, when it was exclusively known as an English ship in 1776. It was known as the Thunderer. And so I've written two articles for the Journal, Journal of the American Revolution on that topic. What was the situation in the Champlain Valley during 1777? Basically, uh, the story is simply this. Um, uh, following Lexington and Concord, 
we had uh, uh, local people, uh, at least uh, local to the extent that Ethan Allen was uh, a prominent figure in what was called the Hampshire Grants, which is now Vermont. And he decided, uh, together with a number of uh, colonial legislatures, that maybe he could take Fort Ticonderoga, which would be the first offensive action uh, by the the new colonies uh, against uh, Great Britain. So he did that with Benedict Arnold uh, in May of 1775. Uh, that prompted uh, Benedict Arnold to take a, a small sloop that had been captured at Skeensboro, New York, and to sail that up uh, Lake Champlain towards uh, St. John's, uh, Quebec, which was a uh, British military post and uh, naval depot. Um, and Arnold did that uh, in May, and he captured the post. He captured uh, some British uh, uh, soldiers and sailors, and he captured uh, the king's sloop that was located there. The point is, is that that set the stage for, uh, in 75 and 76, an invasion, an attempted invasion against uh, Canada. Uh, uh, Montgomery ultimately took uh, Montreal, and uh, history records that there was a joint effort to attempt to take Quebec City, uh, which failed. Uh, most notably, uh, Montgomery was killed in Quebec uh, in uh, December 31st, 1775-76. The point is, is that after Benedict Arnold had come back from St. John's in 75, the Americans were controlling Lake Champlain. And Lake Champlain had traditionally been the corridor by which military forces either invaded Canada or invaded uh, the continental United States through the Champlain Valley. Um, in effect, uh, what occurred next was that the British decided they needed to uh, build a large fleet to uh, make a projection down Lake Champlain. And at the same time, uh, the Americans decided that they needed to build a fleet to counter such a threat. So Benedict Arnold um, was chosen because he had a fairly significant background in seamanship and knew something about commercial vessels. And he actually created the first American Navy, uh, which was built at Skeensboro, uh, New York, uh, which is now Whitehall, New York. Um, that contest of the American Navy versus the British uh, Navy, and both of them were what they call lake navies, smaller vessels, that actually occurred in October of 1776 on Lake Champlain in the fairly famous battle uh, of Valcour Island, which was in some respects a, an American loss because most of the fleet navy that Benedict Arnold had constructed was... Uh, uh, was defeated and sunk. Uh, but from a strategic point of view, uh, Benedict Arnold was successful in keeping the British uh, out of Lake Champlain until late in the year, and General Carleton made the decision that he was going to winter uh, back in Canada. 
So that had the effect that uh, Ticonderoga and Mount Independence on Lake Champlain were not taken by the British and uh, survived, if you will, for another year uh, to see the Burgoyne campaign in 1777. So that's kind of the background that sort of sets the stage for the Thunderer. Um, the Thunderer was, as I say, a uh, platform for transportation of artillery uh, and naval ordnance, which was going to be utilized. Um, historically, it went back to the French and Indian War. There were uh, radeaux that were built during that time uh, that would be used uh, to project um, artillery at uh, uh, lakeside fortifications like Fort Ticonderoga, Crown Point, things like that. Your article features a uh, very important vessel called the Thunderer. Uh, could you kind of give us an idea of what that looked like, maybe talk about the physical uh, dimensions and construction of it? Yeah, I can give you um, some some basic facts and information. Um, the the construction, as I say, it uh, it patterned on what is called a radeau-type uh, construction. And a radeau is basically a locally uh, built uh, boat uh, used in the St. Lawrence, Lake Champlain, Lake George, uh, that was uh, constructed of mostly pine planking uh, framed with oak. And it was a vessel that was used, uh, the French translation of radeau was raft, uh, as I say, used in the French and Indian War, but uh, became utilized for as a gun platform first in the French and Indian War, and it was reprised by the British Navy uh, to be utilized uh, in 1776 and 1777. Um, the Thunderer, which was the um, British version of this particular radeau, uh, constructed in 1776, was 91 feet long. It was the largest of any of the ships uh, which General Carleton had made uh, over the winter of 75-76. And it was notable for its uh, ability to, uh, to carry significant weight, and it actually had two decks. So it had a cannon that could be mounted uh, on the lower deck as well as the upper deck. Um, it, it meant that the uh, radeau or the thunderer uh, was uh, uniquely uh, uh, designed to act as a floating battery that could be, um, if, if maneuvered properly, could be brought up close to uh, uh, lakeside forts and would, in fact, uh, start a siege uh, because of the, um, the, the naval ordinance that would obviate the need to undertake normal uh, land uh, siege uh, actions. And what I mean by that is, as you, I'm sure, are aware from 18th century history, most um, land battles uh, involving uh, investiture of a place that is a fort uh, required that uh, the approaching uh, force uh, had to conduct uh, a formal siege which re required trenches, approaching trenches by which artillery was moved ever closer to the walls, <clears throat> ultimately getting to the point where the walls could be battered down. 
Well, the approach with the Thunderer was that it was going to be a floating battery, which presumably could be sailed uh, or paddled, and uh, the Thunderer had both sails, two masts, and paddles, uh, could be uh, located close to uh, the forts that uh, Carlton wanted to take at Ticonderoga, Crown Point, and uh, Mount Independence. Um, As I say, 91 feet long, um, two decks, um, uh, a variety of cannon. Uh, during the uh, the year, I'm sorry, the uh, the fall of uh, 76, 77. It was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was actually the ordnance was actually increased in size, and there were more cannon that were mounted. Uh, the crew of the Thunderer was about 300 men. Uh, the <clears throat> When General Burgoyne came to Canada in 1777 uh, to uh, commence the uh, the projection south into Lake or down Lake Champlain, uh, he brought with him in June of that year. He brought with him significant uh, uh, German uh, auxiliary forces that were going to help support uh, his campaign, and among the uh, German forces were Hesse Hanno artillerymen who were going to serve um, as uh, uh, naval gunners uh, on the, uh, on the uh, Rideau uh, Thunderer. Talk about the career of the Thunderer. What did it do while it was in service? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the reason I wrote the article is, is not because the Thunderer, or if it was, it certainly was renamed the Braunschweig, uh, was not a very effective fighting vessel. Um, in the Battle of Valcour Island in October of 1776, it was utilized primarily as a munitions uh, 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 ship um, where uh, various kinds of munitions and supplies were stored uh, by which the various gunboats uh, that were with the British force would come up alongside and the ordnance would be transferred to the gunboats. Gun so um, the Thunderer, so named at that time, did not uh, participate very actively in the Battle of Valcour Island. Um, it, it did fire a few shots, but frankly, uh, it was far enough away from the American fleet, Benedict Arnold's fleet, such that it did not uh, do much damage. Um, <clears throat> you may recall that <clears throat> Benedict Arnold, though losing most of his fleet at uh, the Battle of Valcour Island, he made a nighttime escape with remnants of his fleet uh, sailing down the lake towards Fort Ticonderoga, uh, crossed Lake Champlain, and the British gave chase after him. The Thunderer, um, was part of the British force that was chasing Arnold. But it was a very poor sailor. To be honest, it almost sank uh, in the process of following along, chasing uh, Benedict Arnold. Uh, Arnold put into uh, the uh, east shore of, of uh, Lake Champlain. Uh, several more of his ships were uh, burned and scuttled. Uh, he then made his getaway to uh, Crown Point and ultimately Fort Ticonderoga. Um, 
but the Thunderer uh, was part of uh, Carlton's fleet and was then went back to Canada. As I said, Carlton went into winter, winter quarters. During that entire winter, uh, Carlton, and now at this point it's going to be General Burgoyne who's going to run the, the next campaign, uh, he was going to project his force down Lake Champlain, and he had uh, about uh, 10 uh, fairly large ships and a number of very small uh, boats, including even as small as canoes, to the number of maybe as many as 700. So it was a fairly large amphibious operation that General uh, <clears throat> Burgoyne was going to run from St. John's, Quebec, uh, against uh, Fort Ticonderoga, Mount Independence, and Crown Point. The Thunderer um, was part of General Burgoyne's uh, fleet, uh, transporting uh, his about 8,000 troops south, and uh the the truth is is that the as uh, general Redizel, who was the german commander wrote um in his memoirs that there was a lot that was expected uh from the thunderer because again it was it was a concentrated uh, artillery and naval ordnance platform they thought that they could accomplish a lot by getting it close to uh, fort ticonderoga and uh, Mount Independence, uh, and that was the plan, and it ultimately arrived uh, before Fort Ticonderoga, 1777. I think it was on July 3rd, 1777. Sadly, um, the Thunderer and Rado's uh, gun platforms of this size, they were not very maneuverable, and they were terrible sailors. And so, the problem was that the draft of the Thunderer uh, was such that it could not get very close to shore. And as a practical matter, uh, it was not effective in bombardment uh, against uh, Fort Ticonderoga. And as a result, the naval ordnance was removed from the Thunderer, and uh, it was pretty much went into usage, at least for the British forces, as a uh, as a uh, uh, ammunition carrier, or in some cases, a troop carrier. Um, looking at the official naval career of the Thunderer, uh, it had the opportunity to chase Benedict Arnold down the lake. It did very poorly; almost sank. It uh, had the opportunity to. Uh, they hoped, do significant shelling against uh, Fort Ticonderoga, but because of its low draft uh, and failure to maneuver it, um, that did not work out. And it, as I say, it became sort of a backwater uh, ship uh, in the British Navy uh, after the surrender of uh, Ticonderoga. I think it was on July 6, 1777. The interesting thing to me as a private historian was the fact that um, in 1777, it became known to the Germans as the Braunschweig, uh, which is the uh, German name for the duchy of Brunswick-Lunenburg, uh, which provided all of the Brunswick troops to Burgoyne's expedition uh, going south. Um, 
there had been significant conflict between the uh, German troops and the British troops on Burgoyne's campaign. And one of the things that were, they were looking for, and the senior leadership, was trying to find a way where they could try to harmonize the t- two separate nations together. And, and an idea was broached that they might, in fact, name uh, a, a British ship after uh, Karl, who was the prince uh, of uh, the duchy of uh, Brunswick, Lüneburg. Um, but definitely over the winter of 76, 77, uh, the idea was proposed that they would uh, use a regimental flag from one of the German regiments as a model uh, to create a flag that would be flown on the what had been the Thunderer but which apparently became named the Braunschweig uh, in 1777. So that is what piqued my interest because I had never read much about the fact that there was a German flag uh, flying on a British man of war, and I thought I would look into it. And what I found was that there were maybe seven or eight German sources that indicated very clearly that when the Burgoyne campaign started, uh, the Thunderer, uh, now potentially renamed Braunschweig, was flying a German flag patterned after the regimental flag of one of the four German regiments with Burgoyne. I believed, and my article uh, in the Journal of the American Revolution raises the question, of whether or not the flag that was flown, of which there are a number of observations in the historical documentation, was the flag of the uh, the duchy, the sovereignty of Brunswick-Lüneburg. And the reason that I raise that is, is because if it had been merely the flag of one of the regiments that would have... Uh, suggested to the other three regiments that weren't selected uh, that the British were potentially uh, discriminating against them, and it would have had the opposite effect from what was intended. What was intended was to, to make a sign, a signal, that could be seen by all of the German soldiers and sailors uh, that they were a part of Burgoyne's operation, included, well-respected, and pay honor and homage to not only the crown prince in Germany, but also uh, to the country. And the interesting thing is, is the research I've done, and which uh, most of it is noted in the two articles, uh, the research I've done found that there was a lot of correspondence and documentation, in fact, notification back to the prince in Germany that they were going to pay him this honor and that the honor was going to be given to the country. That prompted me to believe that, that, and there is language to suggest that the German regimental flag that was turned over for a copy to be made served as a pattern because the central issue on all of these flags was what they call a white prancing horse. The sovereign flag of the duchy was a, a white prancing horse on a red field the regimental flags of the various regiments that were with German regiments that were with Burgoyne, they were a white prancing horse 
uh, on various other colors with some flames, uh, different uh, affectations that were on the flag. Um, as I argue in my article, I think it was very likely that General Burgoyne, frankly, wouldn't care or didn't know very much about flags on naval vessels, and uh, General Radizel uh, and the local Navy, uh, Royal Navy officers, they were looking for a way to honor the prince and the German state, and they focused on this as a way to do so. From the very start of the uh, expedition uh, south, um, the Thunderer originally uh, flew um, flew both a British ensign and a German uh, naval ensign. And the interesting thing to me is, as a uh, private historian, nobody's written about that before, so I thought it was kind of interesting. Mike Adju, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.